um, anyway, throughout this whole thing, just so everyone is aware, I'm just gonna, like, be dying inside, um, so. <laughs> Same, but all the time. I mean, yes, but, like, it's heightened right now. Hello and welcome to Bitchcraft and Misogyny, a podcast where I get super nervous because uh, I'm interviewing people who are cool. Um, <laughs> so today I have Joshua Elon with me, um, who is not a friend, but a mutual on Twitter, who is also a... Uh, Super cool. Plays Juno Steele in the Penumbra podcast. Check it out if you haven't for fun queer space stories. Um, but if you wanted to say anything else about yourself, you can go for it. Uh, no, you pretty much covered it. Uh, hey, Joshua Elon, good to be here um, on the on the World Wide Web. This is amazing. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll just like get started if you're cool. Totally. Uh, yeah, so uh, first kind of question is, when I ask you to talk about your identity, what's kind of the first thing that comes to mind for you? Uh, for me, uh, th that is definitely, my identity is very strongly linked to uh, social class. Um, I very strongly identify with, uh, with the working class. I grew up in a working class city in, granted, one of the richest states in the country. Um, I grew up in Fall River, Massachusetts. Um, if you've never heard of it, the New York Times called it, uh, it was one of five cities that the New York Times profiled after the 2016 election that they called Trumpland, um, right here in progressive Massachusetts. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. No, well, cool is, cool is one way of, of looking at it, but it's a place, um, I mean, the majority of the actual land there is, um, uh, vacant textile mills. It was a big manufacturing uh, center in the early 1900s. Uh, but once manufacturing left, everything else left with it. So it's just a very bare place, um, mostly service work. My mother uh, is a public school teacher. My father was uh, military. So it's, um, I am from a very, I am from a very working class background, but the catch of being working class in America is that there is really no acknowledged working class in the United States. So everybody calls themselves middle class or lower middle class. So I grew up thinking that I was pretty average. Um, I was just a middle class guy. And it wasn't until I got out of Fall River and actually more directly until I went to UMass Amherst, uh, where I did undergrad, um, that I actually started to identify real differences between me and the, what the actual middle, like the median was. So I guess the reason that I link to that is because it is the one of the newest things that I have discovered about myself. Long answer to a short question. No, no, that was a really good, I was going to say, if you had only answered with one, uh, one word answer, I would have been like, okay, so elaborate on that. Um, so um, that's sort of the first thing that comes to mind. Um, are there any other, like, if you had to pick your top three, um, something that you know would normally like come up in a conversation um and how or why that is and how that kind of interacts with 
uh, being working class. So when you say top three, do you mean like my favorite or the, just the, quote, no, no, like the most the, surface so like, level three? The ones that um, you think probably, uh, I don't know if effect is the right word, but the things that are most um, like immediate for you, if that makes sure. sense. Sure. So like the things that kind of dictate how I move through the world. Yes. Okay. Um, Smarter way of putting that. Not hardly. Just I took your way and just threw, threw my thing on it. Uh, I, um, I guess that would have to be I am a white working class male. Like I am that thing that nobody will shut the fuck up about. I was going to say, uh, how's it, what's it like to be like the most well-known demographic in America currently? You know, it's really hard. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I've read a ton of think pieces about how it's just such a struggle for you. Look, it's not, it's not our fault. It's, <laughs> we are the real victims here. Is what... uh, yeah, I, I can get that. I can get behind that. Um, <laughs> so does that, I mean, I would assume that you are aware of what exactly that entails currently, um, what that brings with it right now. Um, has that changed for you in like super recent months, years? Uh, not, you know, referring to anything in particular, but, uh, you know, uh, when you say what changed for me, are you, are you referring, are you, uh, what is the what in that? Um, just in kind of general, like how have your views on, um, that, particular identity evolved? I mean, you talked a little bit about discovering working class uh, identity in college, but um, there's, like we mentioned, currently a um, massive um, campaign to truly understand what makes you tick currently. So if you (laughs) wanted to talk about, you know, any like particular uh, uh, change in the way You've either approached, um, like, speaking about that or interacting um, in situations with going in with that um, since a certain calamitous thing that happened a couple of years ago. Sure. Um, well, I guess linked to uh, what I said earlier with um, just recently having the language for what my, my standing is in society. Um, made me re um made me take a different look at the people that I grew up with and the sort of people that lived around me that I had always identified as as the median and the average person and and is you know stepping back and identifying okay this is what the working class actually looks like because whenever you hear working class you are so conditioned to think of that as one step below you all the time at least so being able to look around and realize that this is actually a uh it's kind of this weird moment where you're watch. it's like you're watching TV and then just somebody shows up and you recognize that person. You go, oh, I know that. Oh, oh, oh. Like something just connects where all of that, that thing that you've always heard talked about and that has been profiled for, for so much recently. I, I grew up around those people. I know those people. And we've hit this weird thing in, in the discourse. This, we've hit this weird point where... Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, capital T, capital D, the discourse. Um, We've hit this weird point where we're using the phrase white working class to refer to something completely different. Because what we're actually talking about when we say white working class Americans is 
deeply racist Americans. Like there is, that has become kind of a coded language. Yeah. Deeply racist Americans that span, you know, every social class. Exactly. Um, and if you actually so. look at the, if you actually look at the votes in 2016, mostly came out of the middle class. Crazy how that works. Um, it's almost like middle to upper class white people uh, want to blame racism on people who don't have a quote unquote higher education uh, mm. to distance themselves from it. Isn't that weird? Wouldn't it be wild if that, if the upper and middle class somehow profited off of the institutionalization of racism? Crazy how that works. Huh. <laughs> um, anyway, we were talking about other stuff. Yeah, so I think a good sort of question after that would be um, how or what aspects of who you are kind of lends you privilege and then also what disadvantages you and how do those two things interact with each other? Um, well, I mean, white and male are pretty much as privileged as it gets. I'm a, you know, there are 200 years ago, kings didn't have it as good as I have it right now. <laughs> like that is, that is no small thing. And um, obviously just being aware of that isn't enough. It is, it's not, I'm not going to say that it's hard to navigate the world with a bunch of privilege because it's not, but I will say that it is incredibly difficult to avoid it. It is a very hard thing to be aware of your privilege and to not access it as much as possible because the way that the way that these so, these deeply entrenched social structures exist is there you don't need to accept privilege being given to you. It is just given to you. Um, so it's really it, the the challenge with being a white male, the, the thing that is tricky about being a white male navigating uh, 21st century capitalist society, uh, the thing that's tricky there is trying not to fuck shit up more and <laughs> trying not to contribute to the things that are fucking shit up more. Yeah. Because okay. the easiest thing to no, do that is makes just, sense. yeah, because inaction is totally action on that. So that has influenced me a lot. Did you also ask about disadvantage or... Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you, men you mentioned working class, but... Yeah, um, I think if we're talking the most superficial ones, that is the most clearly disadvantageous. Um, I, in my, in my real life, I work uh, for a labor union as a political organizer, so I, a lot of my day-to-day -day job is trying to drive, is trying to point out to people, look, you are being readily disadvantaged by the fact that you are being exploited. Um, but... I guess that doesn't directly disadvantage me because I've kind of taken myself out of the equation and I'm now more of a teller than an actual person who is being readily exploited. Um, but, you know, just not having property is itself an exploitation. Not, I am not, I don't expect generational wealth. I don't expect uh, to ever earn that much. Um, and existing in the political world as I do, because I, I do strictly political stuff for the union, I... Um, there is much less power that I have to affect political change. So frequently there is, it requires much more people power on the side of, of the small to combat only a handful of individuals on the big. Um, so that, that is a massive disadvantage. When, um, yeah, whenever there is actually something that needs to be done to affect the lives of people within uh, the working class, much more work needs to go into it. Um, just to even get the conversation started. Yeah, that's super 
I don't know. I know that your uh, your your Twitter bio does say union thug. I didn't know that you actually work in like actual union thug. Well, thug is a thug is a strong word, but well, <laughs> union union whippersnapper maybe whipper just some kind of yeah. all right, all right, some um, kind of lightweight troublemaker. You know, give yourself some credit. Uh, Never. <laughs> That's okay. I'll do it for you. Uh, so then what? I want to like know everything about what it means to like be a political organizer, but like that's not what this podcast is for. But anyway, um, uh, but has um, either realizing these things about yourself, or actually, if you wanted to talk about um, like the way that you view either politics um, and how that has maybe evolved, um, whether it's like literal, like politicians and legislation or just like the political way in which like the world is set up and the way that you have to like move through it um if you wanted to talk sure sure um that's a really good question because i i think like many people in many people on the left i got my political start as a generally kind of liberal i want everybody to get along centristy type um you're laughing at do you agree you've been there too yes yes yeah. uh so i um, my, I am like middle-class, um, and my two parents, um, are not union workers, but they both grew up in union households. So nice. that was the very, like, we vote Democrat because unions and then everything else is kind of just like, well, I don't know if yeah. we want to go that far. Right. That's, that's always how it goes. I was, my, I mean, if we want to take the full story of my political evolution, it's kind of very bizarre. I was raised in an incredibly conservative home, um, uh, very like a religious conservative household in a working class city. Yeah, very much that that cliche. Um, I mean, I do have Irish Catholicism, so I uh, I feel oh, you. Oh yeah, yeah, rock and roll. <laughs> crisis died, crisis risen. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, so it's uh, just the fact that. I started there and wound up here was was a hell of a thing. Um, I was never aggressively conservative. I came to political light uh, during the 2000 election when George Bush was elected, uh, or not elected, but became president. And something in my little 10-year-old head went, I, I don't think that's right. <laughs> I feel like the guy who got the most votes should have won. Um, and... Uh, you know, I was an intern on the Obama campaign in 2008. Wow. Yes. Um, so that really was how I started. It got involved in the political world. Um, and after working on campaigns for a very long time, um, I just kind of fell in with, um, with, the, car with uh, the... With the bad crowd? <laughs> yeah, with a, with a bunch of, with a bunch of ne'er-do-wells. Yeah, I, I, fell in with, uh, <laughs> I fell in with the trades. I organized my hometown. Um, I, was, I primarily worked out of... Um, Bristol County, which is the county in southeastern Massachusetts that I grew up because it's the area that I knew. So when I worked on these statewide um, electoral campaigns, I organized that area. And, you know, there are no progressive organizations there. There aren't social justice leagues and there aren't like progressive coalitions in working class areas. There aren't environmental groups or anything. The only, so the only organizing unit that we had uh, was unions were unions so I was forced to get really close with um, with union folks um, you know worked with my 
high school teachers, uh, with the teachers union, and got really heavily involved with the building trades. And um, that really opened my eyes to, like I had already kind of completely drank, taken the pills on the social side of, of the left, because that's the easiest thing to swallow, is everybody should be able to do whatever the fuck they want, as long as they're not hurting anybody. Like, easy. Um, but they really turned me on to the economic side of it, and they pointed out the exploitation, and they talked about how just just getting an understanding of how real estate development works will turn you into a, will turn you into a communist because that is just awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I live uh, not in St. Louis, but very close to St. Louis, and just kind of like learning about the um, you know practices that went into that. Uh, yeah, I don't know how anyone comes away from that and is like, yeah, yeah, no, capitalism, like, it's totally working in everyone's favor. Yeah. The the free and open market is great and awesome. I feel ya. Um, totally. It's, uh, <laughs> just, it's, and it's one of those things that unless you know to look at it, you're never going to look at it because it's so easy to see the world around you and go, this is how it always is. This is, this is, this is it. Um. But yeah, so they, the, it was being around union, union workers and union organizers. I guess they, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it like this before, but I guess they did their job. They, they organized and, and radicalized me and got me over there. No, it worked. Good for them. Um, yeah, so I, after the, I think after the 2014 campaign season, I um, jumped off the campaign cycle because it was too, just too much and I the issues that I had started caring about from a long line of campaigns were not the issues that any of the candidates were talking about because they were all, you know, they're all not touching the economy in the way that they should be until, you know, Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corbyn in 2016 and 17 just changed the conversation. And now here we are. And I am, and now I yell at people to join the DSA on Twitter. Uh, you know, spreading the good word. Um, yeah, so how, um, I also, like, shamelessly want to ask you about the podcast and if that's kind of affected either the way that you see the world or, um, the way that you maybe, um, interact with people. Um, but I would, I mean, I would assume that you were, like, pretty chill before. <laughs> no. Well, that's a good question. And uh, since I'm here, I should plug, uh, listen to the Penumbra podcast if you don't already. It's really good. It's Do it. It, it and Bitchcraft and Misogyny are definitely the two best podcasts oh my God. That oh. out there. <laughs> so don't listen to any others, just those two. Um, no. <laughs> fuck off. Top of your feed. Um, <laughs> no, it really has. Uh, and I think that's true for everyone involved with the show. I know... Um, uh, I hear Kevin and Sophie talk about it all the time, but um, this show has really affected the way that I see the world and the way that I, especially with with gender stuff, like I've never, I've gone through the world because I am, you know, a, I am a male looking, like definitely fine with being called man and boy and whatever the hell you want. Uh, so it was never a thing that ever really, entered my mind. I was comfortable with the way I looked, never experienced dysmorphia, and so never thought about gender before as a thing that wasn't real. And uh, yeah, so 
just that alone, just turning on the light of, oh, gender is made up. This is all a game that everybody's playing. And the sooner we all realize that, the better. Is, uh, that is a really cool lesson that the show taught me. It wasn't one aspect of the show, but just being part of it helped me figure that out, helped me understand that better. Because I had the, under, the academic understanding of that, but being involved in the show helped me actually get it and not just recite, memorize words off a page about it. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so uh, when you say like the kind of academic understanding of it, how did you kind of approach it from before? Was it like you just have like a concept um, but didn't really like have real world experience with it? Or was it just like sexism is bad and also like gender is... Well, no. Um, sorry, that I realized that wasn't super clear. I mean, from, from the sexism side of things, that has, that's been part of uh, activism that I've done for a while. So that, that was nothing new. Um, but I guess this just kind of sh- shone a light on an intersection that I had never seen before. And like, that, that's what it is. It never, it didn't show me any one new thing, but it showed me a new way that a whole bunch of things have crossed over each other and have created this thing that is gender and this this construct that exists there you know i could sit back and tell you yeah there's your biological sex but then there's your gender and the gender is the way that you present and that's fine and people can do whatever they want it's totally cool it's who they are they're not faking it they're not pretending to be something else i could i could say that and understand that and and i did understand that and i did but i did not really get what gender is in that it is not anything you know, for, for that, me to say, yes, that, that, person, um, is a, that person is transitioning uh, that into a female body because uh, she was born a woman and now she is becoming the, the correct gender is, is, um, is to say that there is an existing thing that is called gender that was naturally born into this person uh, and is not a social construct. Not to say that anyone transitioning or anything is not the gender that they are, that's, that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, but it's not something that, at least from my understanding where I'm sitting, it's not something that you're, it's not something that really exists. It's something that you put on. It's, it's a costume, right? Yeah. Well, and even, you know, if we want to get like super deep, it's a way in which people have been valued at, uh, in terms of like, game and like acquisition of wealth and property hell yeah absolutely Um, let's talk about let's talk about yeah let's go there (laughs) um yeah and it's also like super colonialist um Mm -hmm. and all that sort of things um yep so it's a it's a larger um power structure that we've all just decided is a thing or at least some of us have decided is a thing um and like I know to like when I was first like when I was first uh, when I first took the pill or whatever the crazy people online are saying these days um I was like oh yeah like there's two different biological sexes but like gender is a totally different thing and then it's like well actually the definition for biological sex is super influenced by the way that like people view gender and like that's not true like intersex people exist and it's much more of a spectrum everything is a spectrum um it's just like the big (laughs) 
the big uh, lesson <laughs> from it's the takeaway, uh, kids. So um, I like totally understand what you're saying. Um, and oh, here's a question. Um, was there any other media that like super influenced you um, in terms of like worldview or political view or self view or anything like that? Uh, was there any other media? Um, God, I hate to be the guy who goes on a podcast and tells you to read Kurt Vonnegut. But, oh my um, God. <laughs> I know. This is awful. If you want to still like me, plug your ears for 15 seconds. Uh, the book, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater by Kurt Vonnegut, um, uh, might not have necessarily influenced anything, but it, it didn't change the way that I walk through the world, but it kind of reinforced me in a way and it kind of made me feel more okay about the way that I felt I should be walking through the world. Yeah, it was a it was a really nice story that in a very roundabout way told me, oh, you're not the only one. Don't worry. It's okay. I was say, the Penumbra podcast is, uh, I do believe that for many a person, including myself. So like, thanks. Um, okay. <laughs> be chill. Um, Never. I mean. I can't blame you there. Um, so what do you view as kind of like intrinsic to who you are? Um, and then something that you've kind of grown into or like chosen to align yourself with, um, if that makes sense. Um, cause like I use the example, like I've always been bi, even if I didn't have the language to articulate that. Um, but I like acquired information and, um, made decisions about what I believe in to say, like, oh, I'm a super leftist, like, feminist, um, like, frigid bitch or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, so if that gives you any kind of clue as to what I'm trying to ask, because I don't know words. Sure, sure. I think I, I think I follow you. Um, like, the, the thing that has always been there, is that the... Yeah, something that, like, even if you wouldn't have, like, been able to pinpoint it um, in the moment, something that's like kind of always influenced you. Sure. Um, I don't know if this is an identity issue, but, um, I guess it's some kind of category. So it could be, I, the thing that has most strongly influenced the person that I am is my family. I'm from a very large, um, family. I'm one of five kids. Um, so growing up in, you know, a, a home with five people has done more for who I am and how I move around. And obviously my parents have had massive influence on me. My, I am, I think, more like my father than any human, two human beings are alike in, in the world. Um, but it, it's, I guess that's just a proximity thing um, and could certainly have elements of class touching into it. There was less extracurricular stuff um, my mom used to work nights, so I would, the times with her stuck out a lot more because a lot of times it would just be me and my siblings alone in the house. Yeah, so all of that was incredibly, uh, incredibly impactful on who I am uh, right now. My whole, as much as, as much as she hates to hear it, all of my ethics come directly from, uh, from my parents, my mom and dad. Uh, so the whole social justice-y uh, Marxist-Leninist thing comes out of a surprisingly uh, conservative Christian upbringing. Yeah, crazy how that works. Isn't it just? Um, and what was the other half of that? 
There was a two-part um, question, right? Something that you've kind of um, either, like, taken upon yourself. Um, so, like, something that you maybe, like, discovered later in life and was like, oh, like, this totally makes sense. I'm this now. Or um, I have learned about this and therefore I am now identifying with it um, in a kind of way that isn't like, oh, now I have the language for something. Um, more like again, more like political ideology or things like, I like am also like mentally ill, um, mm. which is like something that is kind of intrinsic, but also is an identity that you have to learn about and kind of take on. Um, yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. No, it does. And that's actually not to cheat off your paper, but that's a, that's a very uh, big one for me. Um, I had always struggled with uh, mental health stuff but didn't really know until four years ago. Um, Solid. I, I, yeah, right? Congrats. Thanks, thanks. Um, like I had stuff, like I, I, I got a, had a lot of pan anxiety attacks in high school, just pretty regular uh, around junior year, so, you know, around college application Shut season. when it starts. <laughs> yep, uh, yep. And I never really looked into it much because it's a, you know, painful, difficult thing to ask questions about, and it's... Uh, I was diagnosed with, I guess not diagnosed, but I was, it, we identified it as depression in 2014. So that was good to have the one thing to point to and say, that's it. Uh, I think more accurately, it's, it's, uh, I think more accurately, it is just ch some general anxiety stuff. Uh, but that, that is a more recent part of my identity that I am, that it's helped to have language for and has helped me understand the world a little bit better um, because again realizing that the way that you feel all the time is incredibly equal parts incredibly unique to you and also incredibly incredibly common is and not that even though it's incredibly common it doesn't mean that that's like how it has to be um is like something that was huge for me um what do you mean by that uh so not to get like super ridiculous, but I have always had a kind of like, I remember even when I was like super young, uh, like depressive and also um, like depressive spells and also just lots of like anxiety and panic attack moments. Um, and it got super bad for me when I was a freshman in college. Um, I like had a breakdown, uh, and had to, like, take, uh, time off and come back home, which is where I am living now with my lovely family. Uh, <laughs> but the whole, like, going into therapy and, like, being on medication, um, and things like that where it's like, oh, lots of people feel this way, but you also, like, don't have to think about, like, all of the possible exit routes and all of the possible ways that you could escape from this place if you needed to, or, like, you don't have to, like, spend a couple of days in bed every once in a while and then get super anxious about everything. Um, it's like, that, that's a super common thing, and a lot of people deal with it, but it also doesn't have to, like, dictate your life, essentially. Yeah, I, um, very recently heard it described as well as I've ever heard it, and I think they should just put this on billboards somewhere. Um, it's a chemical <laughs> problem. It's a chemical problem in your brain that there is a chemical solution for. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that 
that's a really important lesson. There's, there's no reason to, to feel bad about admitting that you are, you know, constantly look at that every noise makes you jump or that sometimes you feel like you can't breathe. It's a, it, saying that happen, saying that that is happening to you is a great first step to having that not happen to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is, um, one aspect of yourself that you wish people would acknowledge, um, and kind of engage with more and why? Uh, more. Hmm. You know, I had an answer for this one and I have since forgotten it. Uh, I, I guess maybe not engage with, but I wish there was more, um, just, God, I'm taking it very slow here. Uh, I wish there was more. It's what editing is for. It's fine. Oh, oh, I know. I, <laughs> trust me. Yeah, I guess I wish there was more. I, I have a hard time with this one because I am a person who generally does not particularly like to to be acknowledged about stuff. I generally like mood. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so like. I knew that I know that the next question is now what are aspects about you that you want people to not acknowledge? And I just have a book there that I could read. <laughs> My physical being. Right, exactly. Um. Uh, so I guess the, oh, that was, that was what my answer was. Um, the things that I wish, the things that I wish got more acknowledgement were the things that are not visible. Um, I am so frequently identified as just the, th- as the thing that I look like, as, Though, like I'm very much middle class passing. I have, I'm a slender, skinny white dude with glasses. And you're wearing a cardigan. Exactly. So, you know, they, I, I guess that's just, I walk through the world and I feel on a very class level different than the way I look. Um, so I just wish that, pe- that there was less interaction and acknowledgement of the physical being that is Joshua Elon. Especially because so much of it has such uh, colonial implications, historically colonial implications, just is to be a white male, is to be the the winner of a very violent game uh, through no fault of your own, but still the winner. Yes. Uh, Also would add, white women, uh, we're also doing pretty well. Oh, oh, for sure. Yes. I, uh, I just always feel the need to add that because people are like, oh, the white man. I'm just like, White women benefit so much from racism and, like, we historically have, like, tried to uphold that. So, like, maybe chill. Um, And have totally co-opted the the language of feminism. Yeah! (laughs) Um, Anyway, I could talk about that for forever, but this podcast is not about me. Um, So what (laughs) would... um, Yes, so you alluded to this other question uh, earlier, but one aspect of yourself... Um, or I guess a novel of aspects about yourself, as you mentioned, uh, that you wish that people would just like not, yeah, that they would just not. <laughs> uh, I, I guess just because I work, um, just because I work in the building trades, uh, in the, uh, not in the building trades, but I organize in the building trades, um, which is an incredible hyper-masculine world. Like if you want, if you want to find the ground zero of toxic masculinity uh just go to go and elect go to like an electrician's hall and just hang out um not to hate on the ibw that's a fantastic union um uh so i guess i wish there was less acknowledgement of my maleness as a thing as an identifier because 
that's just such a dumb, like, 21st century masculinity is just so damn boring. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you mean, in the way in which you are, like, not a, like, stereotypically toxic masculinity uh, poster child? Or in the way that, like, just that you are a dude? I'm not saying I am not toxically masculine, so therefore I do not want to interact with the toxically masculine. I'm saying that I wish the things that go along with interacting with someone who is a man were not as directly applied to me, which is not to say that I'm not fine with being identified as a man, uh, because I am. Um, But I just wish there was less of the, you are a man and therefore this is how I talk to you and this is how you will talk to me and this is what we will talk about. Like, I don't... I don't care about Tom Brady. I was going to (laughs) say. So what's your stance on the Patriots? They're fine, probably. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But no, that makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, bro hugs and and chicks, dude. Totally, bro. Is there um, any, like, I know you mentioned your family, um, but any other person that you kind of credit um, in either, like, opening your eyes to something or... um, changing your mind about something or anything like that? I had one professor at UMass, Sean Shimpak, who, um, he was a communications professor. Um, he taught, um, I took a bunch of classes with him, but I think the one that really, that had the most impact on me was, I might've just been a basic, like intro to communicate, like intro to interpersonal communication class, but he very, without ever overtly stating anything, was very, just put in such a strong anti-capitalist message into my education. That's how those professors do it. They're slowly s- through subterfuge. Yeah, those, those damn reds have taken over the higher ed system. <laughs> uh, no, he was fantastic. He was, uh, the class focused a lot on, you know, on, a lot on advertising and massive uh, communication. Um, and... Uh, there was just, I remember the one session about, you know, these are the six companies that own everything. This is, <laughs> yeah. the, these are, oh, when you're spending money, you're giving it to these six people. Just to ha- just, just so you know, that was such a, such a they live moment of like putting on the glasses and seeing consume, uh, which was, you know, it was a super, tr- super stereotypical undergraduate getting woke exi- experience. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, he, he was a very big impact on on how I see stuff. And also, uh, I would be super remiss to not, uh, say Nick Peachy, who was my high school, uh, wrestling coach. Yep. High school wrestling coach and international relations teacher. Um, first day of class, he tells us all take out your, take out a blank sheet of notebook paper and draw a map of the world. You had, the, you had one hour to do it and everybody did a terrible job. And the next day, Beginning of the, ne- uh, the ne- beginning of his next class, he goes on the whiteboard, and in two minutes just draws the world. Real, like not perfect, but pretty damn well. Just from that one thing, he just said, "All right, you have no like everybody started with North America and drew everything else based on that." Um, and from he spun an entire year's curriculum out of that one thing that we did that very first day. And the whole takeaway from that international relations class was you're probably looking at the world wrong and there's no correct way to look at the world because it, there's so many different things going on all the time. And so, yeah, Sean Chimpak, Nick Peachy. Those are, those are the two. Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, 
Can you draw a map of the world now? Uh, I can draw a slightly better map of the world. I got a B minus on the final world. <laughs> you know what? We'll take I it. I can draw Africa and Europe pretty good. There you go. Um, yeah, uh, that's kind of like it, unless you like have something super poignant that you didn't get to say. No, yet. I think that was it. Thanks for reaching out. This is super cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just as like a sign off sort of thing, um, if you wanted to plug yourself on the internet or an organization that you think people should like look at or media people should consume the penumbra podcast um (laughs) anything like that uh i will plug uh the podcast that i am on with uh all my friends um listen to the penumbra podcast it's a fantastic uh serial that blends gender and genre and you'll love it um also you will this is a co-endorsement you will see so it's got to be true also, there's probably a DSA meeting in your area sometime in the next month. They're about an hour, two hours long, maybe. Uh, you can find all of the information on Twitter. If you don't know if there's a chapter around you, just DM the DSA Twitter, and they will get you in touch with the closest chapter to you. Um, they have a bunch of cool stuff online that you can read about what it is to be a socialist in today's society. But the best thing you can do is just show up to a meeting and talk to some people, so check them out. Uh, he's also Joshua Elon on Twitter. Yes. Then, you know, follow him. He won't plug himself, but I will. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I appreciate it. And also it's like, I don't know. I feel like I am now a legitimate podcast. Um, it's so, real. You've been christened. Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really, really appreciate it. I don't know if I, my like frantic, um, ongoing, like thank yous have like brought that through but i i do really appreciate it please this is this is fun i hope i was not i hope i was not too rambly no um this podcast encourages rambling so don't even worry about it (laughs) yeah uh so thank you if you would like to follow the podcast on both Twitter and Tumblr, it is bcraftpod. That is the letter B, craftpod, um, on both Twitter and Tumblr. And if you wanted to email uh, me here at the podcast, still just me, um, that is bcraftandmisogyny at gmail.com. And yeah, that's really it. Um I don't know, give me five stars on iTunes. That's like something else that people ask for at the end of these, right? Um, Still produced, edited, hosted, all that uh, jazz by me, Ems. Um, And thank you to everyone who has made it to the very, very end of this episode. And I will catch you later.